Good morning. I'm so thankful, uh, as always, for all of you being here this morning. We're kicking off a new sermon series called Into the Wilderness. And uh, in the church year, there's like a calendar that churches follow sometimes, and, and we uh, follow aspects of this calendar. And we're in what's called the season of Lent. And what that means, um, it's just a season ahead of Easter where we just reflect on our own spirituality, our own brokenness, and our need for Jesus. And so we look to the cross and we reflect on what it means for him to die for us, and we anticipate and celebrate uh, the resurrection of him on Easter Sunday. And so it's just a time of year where we, we just reflect on who we are in, in light of Christ. And part of that reflection really does involve a bit of a journey into the wilderness. And we're going to look at Exodus chapter 2 uh, to kind of explore this, because we're going to be going through the book of Exodus as God's people were led through the wilderness, and we'll reflect on what it means for us to be led through the wilderness as well. And so I'm just going to read um, chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. If you want to follow along, you can, if you have a Bible or an app, and um, I'm going to read it for you right now. It says, Now a man from the house of Levi went and took as his wife a Levite woman. The woman conceived and bore a son, and when she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him three months. When she could no longer, she took him She took for him a basket made of bulrushes and daubed it with bitumen and pitch, and she put the child in it and placed it among the reeds by the riverbank. And his sister stood at a distance to know what would be done to him. Now the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe in the river, and while her young women walked beside the river, she saw the basket among the reeds and sent her servant woman, and she took it. When she opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the baby was crying. She took pity on him and said, this is one of the Hebrews' children. Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, shall I go and call for you a nurse from the Hebrew women to nurse the child for you? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, go. And so the girl went and called the child's mother. And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, take this child away and nurse him for me, and I will give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed him. Nursed him. And then when the, children, when the child grew older, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She named him Moses because she said, I drew him out of the water. A little context uh, for this text that I just read. Um, In chapter 1, enough generations had passed. There was a man named Joseph who was higher up in the politics of Egypt, and everyone knew him. Pharaoh knew him. He He was very powerful. And enough time has passed that people have forgotten Joseph, and a new Pharaoh comes to power. And the new Pharaoh has some concerns because as he looks out among his people, he notices that there are a lot of Hebrews, a lot of Israelites. And he's worried and anxious. And as Scripture says that he's afraid that if war breaks out, they will join our enemies and fight against us and escape the land. And so he commands that everyone deal shrewdly shrewdly with the Hebrew people, the Israelites. And that is, he is harsh on them. And he gives people permission to be hard and harsh with them. And so they're basically like slave labor, indentured servants for the Pharaoh. But he's still, in the midst of this, the population continues to grow. And so he issues another edict that for every male Hebrew child that is born, that male child is to be put to death. And I just want to point out, this mirrors the New Testament a little bit. And the reason why I like to point this out is because Jesus comes and does what his people could not do, and it sort of counteracts 
all of the negative things that happened. And this is very similar to when Herod learned about Jesus and was worried about him losing power and control. And so he commanded all the children under two years of age be killed in Bethlehem. Same kind of energy here. And so Pharaoh was really concerned about population control. And it's in this context that a woman who is pregnant, when she gives birth to a son, she finds herself having to struggle with and make a decision that she never would otherwise. Do you kill your child? Or do you do what she did? Put the child in a basket and put it in the river and sail it upstream and hope for the best. Neither option seems like a comfortable option. But what we see in the story is that God actually works through difficult times. God works through these hard moments in life where you really don't know what he is up to. You know, the mom couldn't see it. She couldn't see what was about to happen. She, protecting her son, put the child in a basket and sent it upstream, not knowing upstream was going to be Pharaoh's daughter taking a bath and seeing the child. And God works through such a mysterious and powerful way that even though she couldn't see down the river, even though she couldn't see around the corner, not only was her child taken from the water, but she was sought after to feed her own child and paid for it. (laughs) What a blessing. But she had no idea that that was what was going to happen. And so just imagine what that had to have been like Wondering, where is God in the midst of this? Of course, Moses couldn't see it either. He was just a baby, right? He, he had no idea what was going on. Newborn baby, put in a basket by his mom, sailed upstream, and rescued. You know, this text is used a lot of times. It's compared to baptism. And the reason why is because Moses is sort of saved through the waters. And we say, in baptism, you're saved through the waters. And in this church, we, we baptize infants, and, and we say, kind of like Moses, Moses had no idea what was going on, and yet his mom was faithful to take care of him. And, and parents are faithful to raise their kids in the faith, to encourage them in the faith, and to do for them what they can't do for themselves, which sometimes means protecting them and doing things for them, even if they aren't even aware. And so all this stuff is playing out. And it reminds me of, um, in the Gospel of Matthew, when Jesus is preaching, he preaches the Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5. And he says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That is, the people that are poor in spirit, the people that are broken down, the people that have no recourse, they get the kingdom of heaven. Or, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. I mean, the Hebrew people, the Israelites, even Moses himself, when he sort of grows up and becomes the leader, he's the meek leader. He's not outspoken. He's not a a strong force. He has to have a partner be that for him. And God wants nothing more than to let his people inherit the gifts and the promises. So we start off in the book of Exodus with this difficult and uncertain time. And it makes me sort of reflect and ponder on the difficulty and uncertainty of your time, of my time, our time together. Things that are so uncertain that it raises questions. 
Now, like, I haven't lived as long as some of you have. I know. But I was thinking about this, and I would probably say probably the last three years between COVID pandemic and Ukraine and Russia, this is probably the most um, stressful, traumatic three years that the world, the globe, has suffered probably since the Cold War. Is that probably fair? I'm looking at the older people, but trying not to look at them because I don't want them to think I think they're older. I think it's fair, right? And in these times of uncertainty, we ask, what is God up to? Where are you, God? What are you doing? Why? And here's what's hard is that we can't see up the river. Like, we don't know what's downstream, We're not certain someone's going to be there to sweep us up out of the water. And so we act sometimes out of fear, or sometimes we act out of faith. But the reality is, we don't always know or get to see how God works through difficult times. We can't always see or know how God is working when we're in the wilderness, I mean, just some truth talk. I was thinking about this for myself. Like, so I've shared some of this before. Um, it's a bit awkward, but I used to have, uh, when I was at seminary, there used to be, the Forest Park is a large park next to the seminary, and there's a six-mile loop around it. And I used to run six miles around this park every day, just about every day. And I kid you not, until I had kids, basically, I used to run. It's true. <laughs> And after you got past the hilly part, there was this long, flat stretch. And I remember I'd run on that long, flat stretch listening to music, and my mind would start to wander, and I would have uh, what I would call ordination fantasies. <laughs> and what I was imagining is what it was going to be like to be a pastor, to be ordained. And, and I was imagining, you know, going to a church and everyone being like, Woo, we're so thankful you're here, finally. And then everyone being able to to engage and listen to every single word that I speak in a sermon, like just eager to hear everything I say. People people loving my words so much and everything I preach so much that everyone wants all their friends and family to come and the church just grows. In fact, I'm such an effective and wonderful preacher that people's pocketbooks just magically open up and out of their generosity, they just give freely to support the ministry of the church. This is my ordination fantasy. It's called a fantasy for a reason. (laughs) Because when I got into it, it didn't play out that way, right? I got into the church and I realized really quickly that I'm not as good as I think I am. That people in the church aren't always nice. That staff doesn't always get along and get together on things. And that it can be really rough and uncertain. And I'll be honest, I mean... I've seen some of you fall asleep during my sermons. (laughs) And I know how much money we take in every week. Like, I, my fantasy isn't reality. But that's not all. I think 
because we have these fantasies or these expectations, I mean, sometimes we end up in the wilderness because stuff external to us happens. And sometimes we end up in the wilderness because we make choices that put us there, that cause hurt and brokenness. But a few weeks ago, I sent out this devotion on Monday morning, and, and it's just, you know, something I've been reflecting on, and, and I'm okay. People ask me after that email went out, are you okay? I'm okay. Um, but it's real. Like, I, you know, I guess I had sort of a senior pastor fantasy as well, and I didn't realize it totally. Um, and I kind of thought, oh, you know, I'll become the senior pastor, and, and things will go smooth, and things will be great. You know, we used to worship like 850 people a Sunday, and now we worship like 350 to 400. Um, numbers used to be, the metrics used to be completely different. And so I kind of came into it during this like sort of transition. We made a lot of changes at that time, and it caused some tension at times, and it's like, okay, you know, this is, this is it. And, and it was difficult. It still is at times. You know, I'm looking at all the different things I can look at, and, and I'm thinking, man, you know, I followed a guy who was here for 43 years, Pastor Canippa. He's, like, known, like, not just at Bethany, but, like, pretty much everywhere as, like, the most loving and caring guy, like, the nicest guy. And so, like, compared to him, you know, I'm like Corella DeVille or something. And bring me your puppies, you know? <laughs> and that's a, tra- that's a transition. And, and in the midst of all this, it's like, it, I, I'm not, I, you, know, I, you know, I'm not trying to be dramatic, but it's like my own little spiritual wilderness in a way, because I step back and I think, gosh, you know, what, what's going on? What does this mean? And, and on some level, we all are going through that in different ways at different times trying to really understand what is God up to. And the thing that's hard is we can't always know or see what he is up to. Like, I don't, I don't, I don't know where Bethany is going to be a year from now. I have no idea. I don't even know what tomorrow is going to bring. bring. I, I, I don't know. I, I think I know but I've lived just long enough to know better. That stuff happens. Unexpected things take place. And then you find yourself in yet another wilderness of sorts. And here's the thing about the wilderness. like You can't get to the other side of it without going through it. There is no other option. You have to just go through it and see what's down the river, or see what's on the other side. But the truth is we're in good company. I mean, it's not like, um, it's just our problem. It's not just my problem. I mean, the disciples didn't see it either. I mean, just imagine this. I mean, Jesus is walking with them. He's performing these miracles. They're physically together, and he's calling to them, and he finds himself up on the cross, Jesus, and he's actually still calling to a guy being crucified next to him, follow me, this is, this is it. In the midst of that, 
you would think that the disciples, having seen everything he did, fulfilling every promise he said he would, when they saw him on the cross, they weren't saying, oh yeah, we know he's got it. He's going to raise from the dead. No big deal. No, they were terrified. They were scared. They had doubts. Is he really who he says he is? Is he going to do what he said he was going to do? And they found themselves in a wilderness not knowing what was around the corner or down the river. No clue. Huddled together in fear. And again, there's no way to the other side of the river or no way to the other side of the wilderness other than going through it. And then they saw what happened. That he raises the dead. He himself is raised from the dead. And they couldn't have fully understood or comprehended what God was up to as they looked to him dying on the cross, himself crying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And so what do we do when we find ourselves in the wilderness? Well, truthfully, uh, there's only a few options here. One is uh, we certainly pray like we just... We go to God, we pray to him, we process what it is we're going through, and we, and we just, you know, work through that. The second thing is we trust. I mean, we trust that if we reflect on our lives, we've been in the wilderness before, and we've survived, or we've seen how God has made something bad and turned it into something good. We trust because Jesus died and rose and time and time again, God fulfills his promise. And then we go through it because that's the only option we have. Here's the thing. God wanted nothing more than the Israelites and the Hebrew people to get to the promised land, to get home. So no matter how bumpy and unfaithful and crazy that wilderness journey was, his goal was to get them home. God's goal for you, through Jesus, is to get you to the promised land, to get you home. So no matter the bumps or the bruises or the pain or the wilderness that we find ourselves stuck in, Know this truth. He wants you home. And even if you can't see around the corner or to the end of the river, even if you're uncertain of what God is doing, trust that he will get you home. In Jesus' name, amen.